Can learning transform your life? This is Impact Learning with Maria Zinedou, a podcast where you will hear personal stories about how we learn, work, and live in the connection economy. Together with her guests, she will teach you to design your learning journey and create the life you want. On today's episode... We constantly talk to companies about their challenges. We constantly talk to higher ed leaders, whether it's program directors, it's deans, it's provosts, it's presidents, it's whoever is thinking about the future of the institution. Those are folks that we want thinking about experiential learning because it really touches the entire spectrum. It's not something that just is for business students. It's not something that's just for seniors um, or for graduate students. It's something that can be very meticulously uh, integrated into the entire learning experience for students. And it gets them from day one thinking about what the real world is like and how I, I see myself fitting into it. Hey, it's Maria, and you are listening to Impact Learning. Today, I talk with Jordan Levy, who is the executive director and founder of Capsos, an education company looking to bridge the skills gap between the professional work environment and higher ed. At CapSource, they are building a community between companies and universities that are interested in collaborating through experiential learning that exposes students to new circumstances with real stakeholders, challenges and outcomes. Through a combination of software and services, CapSource helps educators match with companies and design projects based on specific academic requirements. CapSource has leveraged more than 200 different company partners to provide learning experiences to 3,000-plus students at more than 50 institutions around the globe. Jordan started his first company called Real-Time Cases while an undergraduate at Lehigh University, where he was studying accounting, finance, and entrepreneurship. Together, we explore Jordan's learning journey and how his experience in college inspired him to impact the higher ed system through experiential learning at all stages of higher ed. Tune in for an insightful conversation about the future of higher ed through experiential learning with a serial education technology entrepreneur who has been named one of the 30 under 30 by Forbes magazine. Let's dive right in. Hello, Jordan. Welcome to Impact Learning. Hello, Maria. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be with you here today. So you and I just connected on LinkedIn this week. So I will uh, start with your childhood. What did you learn on your own as a child? I love this question. I I think starting from the very beginning um, really tells a great story about us as learners and and like how we are thinking about our journey. Because it really, learning never stops, right? It's it's something that starts at a very young age and it's it's built foundationally into, you know, the the ecosystem, especially in the U.S. Um, You know, I I was privileged to to grow up in, in Long Island. So, I went to a great school district, um, actually one where my, my oldest sister now teaches. Um, she's a kindergarten teacher. Um, she was a huge part of 
uh, my upbringing, mainly because you know, ma- you know, my my parents and and I really had a very different approach um, to to learning, to exposure, um, to the to the types of things we were prioritizing as you know what we wanted to do, what we were excited about, and so. I would say from from a very young age, like I, I was always, you know, really energized by um, really self discovery, like being able to, to kind of go off on my own and and create things and and ask questions and build relationships. Um, I find that really the key to to learning is people. I mean, at the end of the day, um, asking the right questions to the right people, being you know being inquisitive. But with the right people in the in the room, I think is is really where learning is most powerful. And you know, I kind of clung to my older sister because she was more similar to me and and had similar interests. And I, of course, um, clung to my teachers because you know they they to me showed showed me a light that I didn't quite get you know at home. And um, it's something that really kind of set the foundation um, as I kind of continued to explore my interests later on in you know my K twelve education. Mm-hmm. Is there something specific that you learned from your sister that you are proud of? Yeah, I, th- I think I actually became fascinated with education because of her. Um, you know, we, we always used to kind of come back home and, you know, we'd be in, in our in our home environment where, you know, we would have discussion. Where it's a, We had a very um, close family where it was conversational. And, you know, I always just deeply respected the way that she thought about human development. That's what she studied. Um, she was four years older than me, so you know she really set a high benchmark for you know pursuing your dreams and getting excited and energized by you know the the, the world out there um, and choosing you know your own destiny and kind of chasing after that. And um, I actually didn't know what I wanted to do. I, I you know my mom always used to call me a wheeler dealer businessman, but I didn't know what that meant. I, I just knew that you know I was I was interested in and in, you know being involved in the business world, which is pretty much most of the world, but I didn't know how. And I think ultimately, you know, my sister was a big part of helping me understand the world of education and maybe even some of the gaps that existed that, you know, that, that I now seek to address. Uh, that was funny that you said about your mom. Do you think that the wheeler dealer kind of thing is the entrepreneur of today? I think so. I mean, <laughs> I, I certainly got some of those characteristics from my dad, um, you know, he's very entrepreneurial. Um, he was born and raised in, in Israel. So obviously, um, immigrants to the United States, uh, versus my, you know, my mom on her side of the family is six, you know, sixth generation American. So we really have a blend of two cultures and that was very mm-hmm. prevalent in our home. Um, I actually, um, you know, it was very funny when I was really young, I used to get home from school and I, you know, I used to, re- my mom used to, you know, start cooking dinner in the kitchen. And I absolutely love cooking. It was basically one of the things that I, I learned just from being around my mom. And so I realized that if I offered to help, um, that I didn't have to do my homework because I'd be helping <laughs> instead of doing my homework. And then, you know, I would, I would end up cooking dinner with her and then it would be late after dinner and then she would help me with my homework. So I killed two birds with one stone, did my homework quicker. And, you know, I got to eat um, and, and cook, which were, which were two of my favorite things and still today are. So um, it's just, it, it, that's really the foundation of experiential learning is finding people to to, to teach you that that have love and interest in the same things that you do and asking the right questions and then eventually um, allowing them to empower you to become better than they are 
Um, and so that's one thing I, I love to do is like now teach my mom all these new techniques and tactics that I'm learning, you know, about how to cook, how to, you know, create an environment um, that's fun, exciting and, and uh, embraceive. Beautiful. I love that. Thank you for sharing. So now as you are going to, I guess, uh, elementary school, high school, did you develop a specific interest like for one topic versus the other that you wanted to learn more? So I actually found it kind of um, exciting and frustrating uh, in high school that um, that there weren't a lot of business classes. I actually think comparatively we were very lucky because I was able to take three or four of them. Um, I remember I actually got a chance to take an accounting class that was a college level class, but when I was still in high school, um, and I actually was awarded college credit for it, but when I got to Lehigh, they actually said, hey, you're better off not even trying to transit transfer that in um, and take the you know take the foundations accounting class over again and so you know that's actually what um, pushed me towards accounting as a degree because I flew through the intro class because I had already taken it um, you know got a great grade um, and then basically you know from there decided um, that you know accounting and finance were the best options for me honestly based on some advice from some friends in the in the lehigh environments that were very close with me um, but i never really got a chance to see what any of these fields were like in the real world so i kind of blindly chose based on advice from friends who also had no clue um, what the fields were like and it was only at the end of that degree program where i actually got an internship in accounting that i realized it was completely the wrong choice for me um, from a career standpoint, although I, val- I very, much, very much value the, the, the frameworks and the understanding of business like from an accounting standpoint, I always call it the language of business, um, but I, I definitely don't think that it was very much career-oriented, and that's kind of what I seek to solve with experiential learning. Why did you find that it was wrong or it was not the best fit for you? What did you discover? I think at the end of the day, you have to you have to get out into the world to see the type of work that you're expected to do. And, you know, ultimately my internship was very classic accounting. It was um, uh, four weeks I did in audit and four weeks I did in uh, transactions and restructuring, which was one of KPMG's advisory services. And I actually didn't like either of them. And I think mainly not, you know, partially the, the culture of big four accounting wasn't right for me. Um, you know, I, I like to be, doing unique things, hands-on, see the big picture. And, and you know, very much, you know, when you're entering um, a large organization as a very young employee, you know, you, you have the rite of passage to go through. You have to understand the mechanics of the business. You have to do the hard client-serving work. Um, and I just, I just felt like, you know, the, the path that is there is not the path that might be right for me. And uh, I thought that was definitely one thing that didn't resonate. And I also thought the type of work wasn't interesting or challenging um, or exciting or energizing or really honestly impactful um, to the organizations that we were working with and the people that we were working with. And so that was a big part of, you know, for me going back to school for my senior year, kind of feeling lost because I kind of put all my eggs in that basket. I thought I was going to be a CPA. I thought I was going in that direction. Um, and then I, I pretty much had to restructure all of my thinking around career because, frankly, I, I didn't have any clue what I wanted to do at that point, nor did I have any access to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and so that's really where I began to struggle, yes, but come up with solutions. And that's essentially what I would term as experiential learning. 
Okay. Would you share with us a little bit more? How did you figure out your path through experiential learning? Did you, was it the, the internships or someone who guided you? How did it work for you? Because you focused, you started with finance and accounting and then you focus on uh, entrepreneurship. So how did you do all that? Yeah. So um, the, the interesting thing about um, the, my experience at Lehigh, so I was actually an accounting and finance major and then separate of the accounting and finance um, and the business school altogether, there was a, a Baker Institute for Entrepreneurship. And it was actually pretty new when we were, um, when I was at school. And um, it was actually a, 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 a cross-functional interdisciplinary school. So there were students in engineering, there were students in arts and sciences, and there were students in business all in class together, which, you know, could not be more representative of the real world. Like, you have to be able to work in teams that are multidisciplinary and have different sets of skills in order to succeed. And so that environment was very energizing. And so naturally I clung to that as the only other thing I was studying um, and had the opportunity to continue to study as a senior as I pursued my, um, you know, my professional interests. And, you know, I was in an entrepreneurship class at the end of senior year where the only way to get a good grade was to make progress on the business model. And so I was the type of student where I was, I, I was, ready to be engaged. All I needed was some good conversation, some interaction, some, some mentoring, some, some topics that were, that were pulled out of, you know, out of, you know, conceptual frameworks from textbooks and, and current events. And then, you know, let's, let's see how it applies to the world that we're, that we're entering kind of thing. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I didn't see anything uh, more um, aligned with that than my entrepreneurship experience. And so um you know, I had the right professor at the right time who, you know, basically had the ability to motivate us to make progress on our business model. And um, I started my first company when, you know, that semester, it was my uh, second semester senior year, um, where we were essentially developing case studies for professors at our school. Um, We call them real-time cases that actually turned into a a whole business um, that I worked on for about four years after I graduated. Um, But the whole concept was how do you how do you get industry involved in the learning experience and it was unfortunate to me that we just didn't have that much of it and when we were starting you know one of the key things that he pushed us to do as an entrepreneurship student was go interview your customers and thankfully for us our customers were our professors on campus so we went to meet with literally everyone who would um, allow us and accept a meeting and we pretty much heard the same thing it, it's just not viable it's not packageable there's no unit that is industry integrated experiential learning for students but there's great you know thick textbooks which you know, I think is a completely outdated way of teaching and so I just you know I, I figured hey um, what if there was like what if you could buy a chunk of um, exciting experience for your students that involved industry as part of the learning experience because I felt like that was the hugest um, impact for me um, as a learner when I got a chance to actually meet and interact with the KPMG employees, when I got a chance to you know, map out a supply chain you know, for a local business in the Lehigh Valley uh, and then you know, provide recommendations on how to improve it. Those are the experiences that I added to the resume and that I talked about on interviews. And I was like, well, why aren't more of the classes built to be like that? And basically we found out there's no way to easily implement it. And I figured there might be a business opportunity. 
Okay, so it was the whole process you described, the, the whole experiential experience that you talked about in learning. It, this is, I guess, the the experience that led you to, to cultivate your idea and build the first business, the real case time. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. How critical was the role of the professor and the class that you, you took? And uh, in addition to that, was there any other mentor advisor that also helped you to move forward? Yeah, and, and frankly, they continue to. Um, a lot of our, our, our you know, faculty at, at Lehigh are still a, a huge part of coaching and mentoring me along this journey. I've now been in the education space um, for over six years, and it's, um, you know, it's certainly energizing to see how, um, how they are looking at our involvement and, and, the, and the products and the ability to use those products as a way to enhance the classroom experience and you know, be, you know, deliver a more career-oriented um, context to students. So for us, um, you know, I think my entrepreneurship uh, faculty were a huge part of you know, giving me the confidence that being an entrepreneur is something that is um, feasible. It, you know, it's, it's certainly not without risk, but it, it, it has the, the potential reward on the horizon. And as long as you're making calculated decisions, you, know, you can actually result in, um, in amazing outcomes, both you know, for you as a, as a business owner, but also for the customers that you reach. Um, and so the, the exciting thing to transition my professors as teachers um, to mentors and customers was an amazing process for me because it allowed me to keep in touch with them, which I, I really appreciated, and continue to get that mentorship. Um, and, and, and honestly see how they um, would use these tools to ultimately impact future students that were exactly in a similar position to me um, a few years prior. And so there's, you know, there's a couple professors from Lehigh who actually tried our first product during that semester senior year, um, who I'm still in touch with today. And I honestly would this whole, I don't think any of my life would be the same if, you know, we didn't get an actual chance to see, you know, how a professor uses this in the classroom, how students responded to this type of experience. And I think it was that, it was that, you know, short-term kind of experience for me that I realized there's actually a lot of power in this model, but we need to figure out how to make it scalable and easy for faculty. And that is what we've been kind of pursuing for the last, you know, six years. Okay, very good. So you graduate and now you have a company, Real-Time Cases. What, uh, what are the first steps? What do you do first when you start? I think starting a business is, um, is different and similar depending on which field you're in. So of course, you know, different industries, different types of business models um, have vastly different approaches that work. Um, you know, we, we, went, we went after the, the venture backable business structure. So we you know, immediately started thinking long-term, you know, how, do we, how do we build a foundation that we can use to seek investment? How do we then use that investment to build a team? Um, all along, how do we um, continue to develop a product that actually serves our end customers um, and, that, and that benefits them? I mean, at the end of the day, um, I always give advice to young entrepreneurs and I'm like, if you're not obsessed with your customer, then you're in the wrong industry. Um, and so for us, you know, our, our customer is, is the institution, is, is the educators 
um, that are using the products. And then of, of the beneficiary is the student. And, and I really do have an appreciation for um, just the, the outcomes and, and the, the unique experience that students walk away with um, that they then can reflect back on years after they go through that experience, especially considering how unique it is compared to some of their typical classes. And so we get you know, inboxed from students that took classes anywhere from you know, five, six years ago to five, six months ago. And, and you hear like in their own words, like how this impacted the way that they look at their career, the way that they're looking at the types of job roles that they want to have, the, you know, whether they're looking at startups or large, you know, large corporations or nonprofits as a potential career path. I mean, all of these things, you know, aren't necessarily possible by doing a textbook curriculum on, you know, nonprofits, you know, fundraising or, or, you know, or organizational culture. It's, it's very difficult to show a student what the world looks like at a nonprofit and why that might be a good fit for them unless you actually give them a chance to go work there uh, and work on a project for a few months. And so that's really kind of for us what being, you know, being obsessed with the customer is all about is understanding the whole variety and spectrum that exists outside of the the higher ed environment that is compelling to these students and that the, the faculty need as a structure in order to deliver that experience to the students. So Jordan, you have two companies, the real-time cases and CapSource. Yeah, so I, I actually spend all my time on CapSource. So I, I, uh, I left the real-time cases team about um, three years ago now. Um, mainly because we had a really cool opportunity to build an experiential learning program uh, for Fordham University at the time. And it was their MBA program. They wanted to build uh, a capstone experience, which is where the name CapSource comes from. Um, So we said, okay, what do you need in order to build an impactful capstone experience? And they said, well, we need access to companies. And, um, you know, it was so shocking to me that that was the pain point, but um, we actually learned it's not the pain point. Um, the pain point is starts with the companies, but it's more what the, what is the ask and what is the structure of that experience that you want to deliver and build um, for student learning. And so um, slowly but surely after that first inaugural experience with Fordham, um, we had to find nine companies for them in the New York area um, to provide projects for small teams of students, um, kind of a typical capstone format. And it totally opened up my eyes to a whole new world, um, mainly because we kept hearing the same thing. Um, the case studies were strong and different and, and certainly better than a, text, you know, a, a text-based uh, Harvard case, but they weren't experiential learning because there's no feedback loop. Um, it's not a living and breathing experience. It's a contained, confined experience. And so I said, okay, if we were to help schools build experiential learning programs, what what would that look like? What do they need from us? And so we started with um, access to companies and structuring of those experiences. And that's actually a big part of what we still do today. Mm -hmm. I love that. So you started basically serving and helping your customer. They needed companies to get real cases, and you went basically and found them, which is beautiful. Now, let's uh, take a step back and say, so what are you trying to achieve with CapSource? I think we're trying to 
Well, I think the, 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 on a micro level, on a student basis, bridge the skills gap between the professional work environment and higher education. I think without experience and exposure to the real world, students graduate lost. And it's, it's, at least for me and my perspective, I think it's so easy to engage industry as long as it's a very, um, a very specific ask. Hey, I need you, you know, to open your doors and work with the students for four weeks uh, two hours a week on this project. Does that sound like something that's amenable to you? And if, if you can be clear with industry, whether it's, you know, large corporations or if it's startups around the corner from the school, um, it, it doesn't matter. As long as everyone's on the same page about the goals, then it's an easy, you know, program to build and deliver. To the, to, to the larger perspective, I actually want to, to see higher ed um, succeed in the future. There's always this question with ed tech entrepreneurs. Do you want to to circumvent the system and and build a boot camp, uh, you know, an alternative credential that doesn't serve um, as part of an institution and the traditional model, or do you want to work with the institution and the incumbents and help them transition um, and become better at serving their students? And so that's the approach I've always taken because I believe in the American education system. I think it, it, it allows for pathways. It allows for um, the, the chasing of curiosity um, and the building of, of, a, of a great foundation and not only just a foundation, often um, continuing ed, which I think is, is frankly a completely underappreciated part of the higher ed system. And so I think the experiential institution is what we're trying to create with our you know, partner schools it, it is, is more of a, of, a, of a change in behavior and outlook of, you know, how do they train students? How do they even recruit those students? For what are they recruiting them to learn about and to work on? And then who on the outside of the institution are we going to pull in, whether it's alumni or if it's local businesses in the community, who are we going to pull in so that we can actually give these students a unique experience so that they're graduating, having a good sense for what they want to actually accomplish as part of their career. Mm -hmm. So Jordan, you have a lot of experience with several, uh, many actually institutions, but also companies. How many about, so we have an idea. Over the course of my career, um, it's been hundreds of institutions, um, hundreds of companies and tens of thousands of students. CapSource um, has reached about 50 schools over the last two and a half years, Um, 180 companies. Um, that we've engaged as part of the experiential learning programs that we assemble um, with about 3,000 students across those schools and their schools around the globe now. So we're actually really seeing a global perspective. You know, no longer is it is it only, hey, you know, you have to be able to meet in person to, to do an experiential learning um, engagement. Now we're seeing, you know, companies in London work with uh, schools in Long Island. We're seeing, you know, uh, companies in Germany work with schools from 10 different schools through a live business case competition across 10 institutions. So that's the type of environment that we're trying to create where it's not essential. Of course, it's nice to be able to connect with companies in real time in person, but the same power exists in this conversation here today where we're able to have a meaningful a meaningful interaction virtually. And it's, it's a huge part of, of the, the business environment that these students are planning to enter anyway. Um, so being able to organize your thoughts and communicate them through an exclusively virtual channel is something that students need to develop as a skill. 
Mm-hmm. So when you look at all your experience and as, as, the, as the systems, like the educational system and then the business systems are developing, what, what have you observed? Why didn't we have this kind of connection that you are establishing now by bringing them together, but also offering the technology, like the platform to do that? What is it the technology that held, you know, held these connections back or was it something else? That's a, it's a great question. So the way I look at the higher ed environment today is, you know, we first had the transition higher ed online, right? And, and not even online, it was, it was learning management systems. So it was not even, you know, the entire learning experience like we see today, um, you know, massive percentage of programs are fully online. The, the students are enrolled online. They actually never visit campus or interact with faculty in person. That is really what stemmed from um, a transition in the 90s and early 2000s of the learning experience on campus to be a blended one where there was a learning management system plus an in-class, in-person experience. And so that was the first transition. And then what we miraculously created as a result of digitizing that experience is long-tailed data and results that we could track on student outcomes. And what we then realized is, holy moly, we're not doing such a great job at early career success and professional training and development so that students graduate ready for their careers. And so I think where we're at now is, you know, these online program managers are starting to help schools build really scalable, fully online programs, but we actually haven't even thought about changing the pedagogy itself from a content-based approach to a more experiential approach. And I think that's finally where we're at now is starting to look at, okay, who are the big stakeholders involved in an institution and how do we activate them so that we can provide students with a very meaningful, professionally oriented um, learning experience. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the approach that we use is Um, schools want to deliver highly custom, highly unique experiences to their students, um, but they also need to do so at a, at a level of scale and a level of quality um, that's you know, easy to maintain. And so we give our institutions um, you know, access to software that helps structure these experiences so that they can get all the same stakeholders uh, in, the, in, the right, in the right room, having the right discussion from the very beginning, and then ultimately develop um, develop longer tailed experiences for the students that you know result in you know the career outcomes that they seek mm-hmm. so let's take an example uh, because I want to share with our listeners how how the project how it works how the whole like end-to-end process works how do you find the, the first the institution or the company and how do you establish all that could because i know you have said like step by step process and i would like you to share this with us so the the listeners understand better what you do sure so our customer is the institution and the faculty and you know essentially the students because at the end of the day they're the ones paying for this um, but the um, the process starts with the school because we learned that you know having a bank of projects isn't helpful um, because projects and companies change all the time. Uh, but the curriculum and the and the cadence of semesters and courses is a very rigid structure, and so you have to start with them by gathering academic requirements 
and other types of limitations. Hey, I need a company in my local um, economy. I'm looking for nonprofits. I want my students to work on a data analytics project. These are very game-changing decisions that will ultimately impact who the right partner is for an experiential learning opportunity and, and the type of experience that you want to build. Um, so once we gather those requirements, we build uh, through our system a request page. Um, which essentially outlines the timeline and the requirements so that the companies that are interested, whether they're startups, nonprofits, corporates, government entities, it really doesn't matter. When we share the, these, these details with them, that they understand what we're asking them to do. Um, so part of, of this methodology and getting to this point um, was defining experiential learning formats. Um, and so we actually didn't, we didn't design these. These have been around for generations. I, I mentioned the capstone earlier, um, which is a small group project. Um, and then so a lot of schools said, well, it, we're going to need a lot of companies if we're going to put three or four students on projects, um, you know, with, with different companies. So how can we take that same model and maybe use it for 20 or in some cases, you know, with Northern Illinois, they have 140 students that want to work with the same company as part of their intro class. And um, what we designed was a live case model, which essentially takes the same value of a capstone, but spreads it across more students. Um, so those are two models. Um, obviously, the faculty role is a little bit different. Um, but once you mix those formats with, um, you know, templates, functions, you know, whether it's marketing or data analytics or, um, you know, uh, operations, talent management, once you start to mix these ideas together, it's very easy to find who the right people are to bring into the room. And then from there, um, it's about defining goals and objectives. Mm -hmm. So I want to understand, it's very clear how you get all the requirements from the, I guess, the faculty. How do you have in your database, in your system, how do you have all this information for the businesses and the companies? So the, the key is to create a context where you're sending companies where they can see the information and opt in based on their interest in participating. So when you're saying it's spring, you know, we want our, our students over the summer to have a, a capstone experience or, or next, this coming fall semester, we want to have a live case experience. And then you go layer deeper and say, we, we need this, this experience to be, you know, based with companies in our local economy and it needs to be marketing. Now we know who we're looking for, right? And a lot of times I think the challenge with um, the experiential learning model or industry integrated learning is a lot of these things are kind of go by the wayside. Let's see what happens. Let's just try and reach out. And if you don't think about the learning experience you're trying to build from the beginning of the process, then you're never going to succeed in delivering it because you're going to have the wrong stakeholders working on the wrong things, which is bound uh, to veer off track. Mm -hmm. You uh, mentioned earlier that establishing the connection between, you know, the need and the opportunity or the experiential learning uh, opportunity is the first step. But then it's very critical to, to manage it as a project, as I'm thinking about it now, and have the constant, you know, feedback loop and all that. Do you have like a designated project manager? How do you manage, you know, the progress? So that's the beauty of um, 
our model is it's intended to be um, school driven, faculty driven um, is experiences. So we're we're not the ones delivering the actual experience. We're the ones helping to organize and orchestrate the experience um, so that when it launches, the right people are in the room and they're working on a very clearly defined set of goals and objectives. So that's that's what we work towards is developing something called a project charter, um, which is not you know a set of instructions for students to follow that you know takes all the creativity out of the learning process, but it's something that generally defines what are we intending to do together. You know, industry they're they're not educators. They don't understand you know where students are at, what they're capable of, what they need in order to succeed. They definitely understand their problems, right? So, like, uh, you know, a startup company understands, you know, I need to help. Uh, I need help understanding the size of my industry and my key competitors so that I can, you know, uh, deliver a pitch deck to potential investors. And that might be a very, you know, clear a clear project for students. But a student that knows nothing about that industry, nothing about his that, that product, nothing about um, the the overall um, go to market strategy and the types of investors out there. Um, it's not going to be able to help that entrepreneur. But if you break down that experience and say, okay, let's first look at the product and the business model. What is this company trying to accomplish? And you ask using a question-based approach, which is how we try to frame all these engagements, um, have the students really begin to discover on their own and veer off and, and really begin to, to, to get creative and search for answers, that's really where you see the most engagement. And then they start to take ownership over it. And these projects evolve. You know, at the, at the end of the day, um, you know, most of our programs involve faculty either as a, as a pinnacle facilitator in the middle with the live case method, because there's a lot of students and there's a lot of interfacing, you know, between students, faculty, and company, um, or as a mentor, um, in the capstone model, where the students are really working with the company as a team, but then have their faculty mentor um, to rely on for you know advice and and you know you know help help looking through deliverables and accessing resources, so on and so forth. So um, so we ultimately continue to help power these experiences by training you know faculty. Um, providing them with the partners, providing them with the structure. But at the end of the day, the execution of the project is the learning experience. And we want that to happen, you know, at the institution and classroom level, the way that the institution and classroom wants to have that experience. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Thank you for explaining all that. I, I do have now a much more clear understanding of how, how it works. Going back to the students which are the ultimate beneficiaries because they need experience, they need to build skills and be able basically to join the workforce um, more ready than they are without going through this experience. What have you seen as the biggest challenges for them during the first time they get to work on one of your projects? Yeah, so this is a really good, um, this is a really good question because at the end of the day, it, it requires that we think about like what's really going on when we take a group of students and put them on a project for a company. And so we um, defined our experiential learning framework as a model that helps students use universal skills, which in includes communication, collaboration, critical thinking, and creativity to develop real outcomes for real stakeholders who provide feedback along the way so that students can finish 
um, with reference worthy experience and reference worthy experience is, is the place I think that we should spend a little bit of time on because the reference worthy experience is something that students can add to the resume and talk about on interviews. It means they can reference that experience. And so it's often, um, we're asked like, what is experiential learning? And I always put this framework in front of people. Um, and people are like, no, there's experiential learning is so broad. And what I always say is actually think less about experiential learning as the process and more about the outcome, right? Is there something that students can ultimately walk away from this talking about it as an experience that they had? Um, there's a, a famous Albert Einstein quote that says, learning is experience. Um, everything else is just information. And so if you can help people figure out how to go through these learning experiences, they can then figure out how to use information to benefit the stakeholders that they need to serve. And so that's really what we think about when we look at um, real um, reference-worthy outcomes is it needs to be based on something real. It needs to be based on a real organization, right? It, that has real stakes and real challenges. Um, and so if, if all of those things are true and you're working in that environment, even if you fail, you still have a story to tell at the end. And that's something that I think is really powerful because these experiences are definitely not um, as easy and contained as a textbook, you know, bank of questions and exam, you know, like your like a typical classroom dynamic. This is about taking students, you know, having them prepare presentations and deliverables and check those deliverables and make sure that they're using references and properly citing those references and sometimes getting things wrong and learning from that experience. And so I think all of that really goes to preparing people for the type of experience that they need to, to be ready for when they enter the real world. Mm -hmm. Do you provide any kind of mentorship through CapSource if the students or when the students need support or does this come, I guess, from, from the professors and the faculty? It's, it's a really good question. And sometimes the institutions will assign, um, you know, recent grads or even, you know, uh, students that recently completed these types of programs to mentor the students, which I think is a great resource. Um, ultimately, there's already a mentor from the company that has a vested interest in this program. And that's the, the thing that I always question when I see these mentor platforms pop up is that, you know, other than the fact that, that we have maybe uh, alumni status of a university in alignment, there, there might not actually be anything that we care about together that will help us actually build a bond and need to learn from a mentor. But if you give people a project to work on where, you know, the student has a vested interest in their grade and the company has a vested interest in good, positive business outcomes, now you have a mentorship relationship that has a foundation. And that's really, I think, where the mentoring that you speak of is most strong. Um, of course, obviously, the faculty serves as a mentor as well. Um, I question whether or not we need a third party or, or even fourth if you have a TA um, like as part of this learning experience. Um, I've seen William and Mary, um, they use this, this concept called um, EPs, executive professionals, um, which are not associated with the company, um, often not associated um, as alumni either. They're just business professionals that are in the region that serve as mentors for the students that are not um, professors. And so it's, it's an interesting dynamic because now they have someone else who does have experience solving these types of challenges um, so that they can go to these folks and, and ask 
clarifying questions like how do I present this idea? Like what, what do I do if I, I don't know the answer to this question? And it actually provides the students with a little bit more structure. But you know, at the end of the day, those are all things that the students have to learn through experience. Um, so I don't think it's essential that we have more mentors involved. Um, but of course, you know, extra resources uh, that are clearly defined roles, I think could certainly be valuable to the experiential learning framework. Mm-hmm. Many who are listening to that, Jordan, may not agree. I am 100% with you. I believe like in coaching and mentoring, like on the job, like when everyone has like, you know, uh, stake in and they they really want to see it uh, succeed. But also something that you said earlier, you learned a lot through your sister or from your sister. Like the person who is ahead, you know, a few steps or a couple of years or a few years on the same journey or on a similar journey. I think it's a person that we can really learn a lot. You can call her or him a coach or a mentor or an advisor, but it's, I think it, like it can be really impactful in the hands on, like on the job, on the project, on the experience. Like I, I also, again, many, many who are listening may not agree, like the third party coaching that will give me a framework and do A, B, C, D somehow it might not work. I'd rather have someone who, you know, who is really involved in the project the way I am, the way you explain it. You know, it's (laughs) at the end of the day, who really knows what we're doing? I mean, like we're all, I mean, at some point we all become mature enough and it's kind of foggy as to where, when that happens, but you start to get a real sense for, you know, what the real world is all about. And I think the real world is uh, an open, vast amount of opportunity with no structure, right? There's no structure as to, you know, as to how, you know, you create something new or how you actually can ascertain, uh, you know, a job in a certain industry. And I think at the, at the end of the day, of course, you know, you could try, um, you know, all these different approaches and that's actually going to be a great learning experience. If you say, I want to work at Google, you know, how do you get that job? Well, what jobs are available at Google? Who do I know that's at Google? And then you begin to really sort through the problem solving framework. Um, if you give yourself, you know, an a, achievable goal and you're dedicated enough um, you'll figure it out. But why not use people that have been through that experience before? Yeah. Not only the people that currently work at Google, but the people that applied to Google and didn't get the job. Or the people that vehemently are against working at Google and say, here's the reason why not. And at the end of the day, it's still your decision to make. We're on a hurling rock in a somewhat of a framework of society, um, you know, trying to all figure it out at the same time in a civil way. And I think you know, the fact is, you got to rely on other people um, and, and, and take, you know, all of their advice for what it's worth and, and adapt it to you. Because at the end of the day, there's no right answer. It's just about what, what feels right to you. And I think having a good ethical foundation really helps uh, to ensure, you know, safety and, and, uh, and yeah. um, long-term success for our society. Mm-hmm. As I'm listening to you, like I'm thinking it has to be specific, like for, for an advice to be valuable and help me move forward or overcome an obstacle, it has to be specific. As you said, you know, if I want to go and work, you know, in a company, who are the people who are working there? Who are the people who are doing well? Who are the people who are not happy? Who are the people who don't want to go and work there? Like, this is what, like, my specific, I guess, slice of the pie that I need to understand 
and then make my decision. So specific, I think, in a very general and open world, with all the resources available and the advice and the options, being specific. And I think that's what I like when I when I uh, learn more now about your model, being specific and really talk about a personalized and customized experience, which is the experiential learning, but through a very specific project, through a specific group and team that they work with. And I love that. Yeah, I, I really, really appreciate that because I think the, the, the really big challenge for, for most people is deciding what the, the goals are. And so it's, it's so easy um, you know, to, to, to not define things. And then at the end, you, you don't even know whether to be happy or sad because you have no benchmark as to what you're trying to, uh, to achieve in the first place. I, I, you know, I've, I've been recently um, looking into OKRs, where, which are objective and key results. And I think that really becomes a fundamental part of our model at the end of the day, because if you don't set a very clear goal and then actually figure out how you're going to measure the success of that goal, then it doesn't matter what the goal was in the first place, because then you have no way of measuring. You actually may choose the wrong metric to measure, and then that becomes something that needs to be addressed for the next you know, milestone of that OKR. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you have to decide you know, what you're trying to accomplish and how you think you want to measure success. And I think for all of our engagements, it's about getting people to align on key objectives that they agree on, that they think are, hey, this is going to be valuable as a learning experience, but it's also going to be valuable to me as an organization. And I think that is really the dynamic that has to be very, you know, fine-tunedly balanced um, or else, you know, or else, you know, people feel like they're getting taken advantage of. And so that's really where I think experiential learning shines is, you know, you're basically, you're not telling the companies, hey, you need to pay so that the students are going to produce outcomes for you like in a typical employment relationship. This is an opportunity for students to think about your challenges, learn more about your industry, see the types of, of opportunities that exist in your field or in your industry or in your, um, in your occupation, and then decide, is it right for me? Do I like solving these challenges? And then from there, continue to set new milestones for themselves you know, while hopefully also helping you succeed in, in what you try to accomplish. Jordan, I want to understand a little bit more. I think you mentioned earlier that like the financial support to be able to basically, uh, you know, pay you to, to offer the services and everything you offer comes from the institution and not from the company. I've been on the side, I've been a summer intern, I've done internships, uh, like, you know, when the company paid, and I think what you laid out is exactly what's expected. <laughs> like I'm expecting, expected to work, you know, for them, but like my, maybe my development and other things beyond the business goals are not priority. Was it easy or what was, how was it for you to, to be able, like to say the institutions need to own that and need to drive that because now we are really looking into building skills for the students. So I question always, um, if the company is the customer, what are they buying? Because if, if, if they're the customer of this model, then they're buying access to talent. They're going to look at this as a talent pipeline. They're going to, you know, try to, try to you know, ex- extract as much value out of the students as they possibly can because that's their, that's their incentive. That's what they're paying for. And so I fundamentally disagree that that is the dynamic between the company and the students. I think 
frankly, as experiential learning continues to grow in popularity, companies will begin to less prioritize those types of outcomes because they'll understand that the real goal of this is to provide students with a learning experience and that the nice-to-haves are the positive outcomes and the employment you know, pipeline. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, for that same point, that's why the schools are the customer. They're the ones who are signing up students, you know, hand over fist, I'll, I'll, I will note, less than they used to, um, to, to, to take these courses and programs so that they can access better opportunity upon graduation. And if you ask me, they're not delivering against that promise. And a, and a real way to do that is to invest into the future of that student. Um, not necessarily their experience on campus, but their experience for setting up them for the rest of their lives. And the continuation of the relationship with that student, most institutions don't even think about. Um, I mean, they they go back and say, hey, um, we're raising money from you. Um, That's what we want. That's That's why we're calling you. And I think it's a major missed opportunity. I think it should be more about, hey, I know that you're an exceptional alumni. I want you to be a part of teaching these these students, the next gen, you know, based on what you've learned and do that through projects and do that through visits and collaborations. Otherwise, you know, the, 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 the alumni graduate, all they feel is that they paid way too much for, you know, for the institution. They have many years left um, to continue paying, you know, for that experience of four years and they get no residual value from the institution. And Mm -hmm. so eventually the hope is, the, the companies will be willing to pay for these programs as somewhat of an employer pay model, but they need to see success. They need to see that the students are able um, to, to move through these programs, develop useful outcomes, and then ultimately um, find, you know, you know, careers, even if it's not with that, that specific employer, but at least find careers where there's their synergies and they can, you know, engage in that professional network. I, I just ultimately don't think that the, the companies are ready for that yet, but we've seen institutions, Carnegie Mellon, you know, I mentioned William and Mary, um, that, that, that charge companies to participate in these programs. And that is, I think, the, the, the beacon of light that we should all be heading towards, which is if we build successful programs that are well-organized, that help companies understand what the goals and objectives are, then the companies will be willing to pay because they know that there's a very low risk um, to participating. Otherwise, they're sacrificing their time and their, you know, their intellectual property um, so that students can learn. I think that's a big, you know, a big um, offering. And so I think that to ask them to pay on top of that, especially when there's no track record of proven outcomes, you know, I think is a, is a pretty unfair ask. Mm-hmm. And I like that. And thank you so much for sharing all this because there is always... Different perspectives, it depends where we sit, you know, on the one side or on the other side. I like that you talked a lot about like long-term investment on the, on the students, on the graduates. So really invest, invest in them because it is the, it is what brings, you know, the academia and, uh, and learning and education together with the uh, universe, with the business and the companies. But I, I appreciate very much the, the transparency in discussing the different aspects of this. So is this, uh, Jordan, your biggest challenge right now? Or is there something else that you are working a lot these days as you are f- evolving further the work at Capsource? Yeah, so we started off 
you know, by just providing um, services to schools to basically better understand what their challenges were. And that's where we identify that access to companies is a key challenge and that structuring the projects was an actually an unaddressed challenge to, the, to, to some extent. Um, and so that's what we built as a system. And we began to use the system ourselves to find companies and structure projects. And through that experience, we learned this is actually not scalable. Like it's not a way, we can't be the ones connecting companies and schools um, and programs and students. You know, we can't, we can't be the one doing that every single time. There's no way that we're going to be able to cover all the different types of programs, all the different companies that are out there. But what we can do is build a tool that helps people build these types of high impact experiential learning programs. And so our biggest challenge is trying to get more schools, um, not only um, to, to think about experiential learning as a key part of the pedagogy that they use to advance their students, um, but to take ownership over that experiential learning and to design their own experiences. And so obviously, hopefully using our system is essentially what we're trying to accomplish. But I think that's really where our biggest challenge lies is, you know, is this really going to be the future of higher ed? Are institutions going to try and build um, experiential learning offices the same way that they build career services offices? You know, at the end of the day, career services has nothing to do with education. And, and, and it's very interesting because schools are struggling now. They're like, well, the career services office and the alumni engagement office own the alumni and career like part of the institution. But what about the work-oriented learning? That's a different, that's a totally different role. And you know, they're interfacing with the same people. It's usually alumni, it's usually business owners, business leaders, but they're not, it's not a career perspective. It's a training and development and education perspective. And so I think it's a new department on campus that brings all of these people into the same room and says, we all need to cooperate so that we can find the best companies and the best opportunities um, and build the best experiences for our students. Mm -hmm. By listening to all of the learnings you've had in a short time, because how many, how many years now is it that you've um, founded CapSource? CapSource is three, three years old, about almost. And um, mm -hmm. I've been in the space now for a little over six. Which is a short, you know, length of time, considering like all the wisdom that you have and the understanding of, of the needs and the gaps and the opportunities. And uh, I'm impressed. I'm amazed by how, how much like uh, in depth you understand the systems. And you said something, Jordan, earlier that I also am um, a big proponent. Like many believe that the education system needs to be upside down and rebuilt and this and that. What I hear from you is you really understand the system. You're looking at the, where, the where, where things work, where are the gaps, where are the opportunities. And with the work at CapSource and other things you are doing, trying to build, I guess, to build the connections, bridge the gaps, create opportunities and evolve it, which is a beautiful way to think about how you know, education can continue to evolve. It doesn't necessarily need to be taken down and rebuilt. We can build it, you know, from inside, but with entrepreneurs like you, that, you know, that, but I'm really amazed by how much understanding you have of what's going on. I mean, the beauty of, I think, our role in this 
ecosystem is we're constantly talking to both sides, right? Uh, so my guilty pleasure of this whole business model is it's exactly the pedagogy and the learning experience that I want. I want to be able to talk to business leaders, hear about you know their challenges, and think about ways to solve them. And ultimately, there's not enough time in the world to solve everyone's problems, but if you can mobilize a team of students to solve a real business challenge, then that is amazing outcome for both the organization that welcomes them and the students um, that are that are participating. And so we constantly talk to companies about their challenges. We constantly talk to higher ed leaders, whether it's program directors, it's deans, it's provosts, it's presidents, it, it's whoever is thinking about the future of the institution. Those are folks that we want thinking about experiential learning because it really touches the entire spectrum. It's not something that just is for business students. It's not something that's just for seniors um, or for graduate students. It's something that can be very meticulously uh, integrated into the entire learning experience for students. And it gets them from day one thinking about what the real world is like and how I I see myself fitting into it. Mm -hmm. Very nice. What has been the biggest learning for you? during this uh, six years? Well, it's unfortunate, but I I think the biggest learning is that um, monumental um, change in higher ed takes time. And it actually also, um, coincidentally, takes time to prove outcomes of a different approach. You know, and so like we talked a little bit earlier about how the learning management system added a layer of transparency um, that ties student learning outcomes to career success. You understand, you know, how students perform in certain classes. You understand how quickly they go through their degree program. You understand where they are one, three, ten, about maybe twenty years out since we had the first origin of the LMS system. So we've 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 now seen like how that version of education pans out over twenty, thirty years. But now we're changing education today. We, we can't rush time. Like, it's not like this is going to actually help to prove outcomes tomorrow. This is something that's a fundamentally different approach. It's a different role of institution and, and educator. And it's a totally different experience for students. But I just, I can't, I actually cannot understand why, like, why sometimes folks are vehemently against um, this type of model. We, you know, we constantly get um, feedback, you know, through online forums that institutions are to create global thinkers and that we're not just, you know, supposed to be slaves to industry and, and address all their needs. And I'm, I just, it boggles my mind because I'm like, it, just because the students are learning for, by solving real problems for real organizations does not undermine, you know, how much of a global thinker and, 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 uh, and a structured, um, you know, well-articulated individual that that person will become because of those learning experiences. So that's kind of my my biggest challenge is it takes a lot of time to make change. You have to be patient. Um, I I often say um, um, persistence by existence is a big part of uh, being successful in the higher ed space. If you're just around three, five years after you start your business, that's enough validation to some educators to give it a shot. Um, Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it takes five, 10 years to prove that your pedagogy and approach actually, you know, benefits students, not only benefits them, but is potentially even better than alternative um, methodologies. And then, you know, hopefully by then you have more people using it. Otherwise, you know, you're, (laughs) you're, you're pretty much spinning around the same block.
what is one thing that you would like to leave your mark on within your lifetime? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, honestly, I um, there's a couple of you know leaders in the higher ed space that I, I really appreciate and, and revere. Um, I think John Katzman is um, often um, someone that the folks look at as, as a trailblazer and he just thinks about the space differently. And I would love um, to emulate some of his um, success. And, you know, it's, it's not, it's not pervasively like a, everyone in the higher ed space appreciates John Katzman because they understand that he has got a different approach and that his approach isn't right for everyone, but it actually is right for the students and that the students who are going through that experience might not be for every institution. It might not be for every student, but the ones that opt into those types of programs are the right fit for those types of programs. He believes in transparency um, and, and, um, and, and making sure that the right um, individuals are ultimately the ones opting into these programs and that there's measurable success on the, on the outcome side of the equation. So, I mean, I would, I would just love to, to be um, someone who is a, a pioneer for the foundation of experiential learning as a key pedagogy um, to perpetuate the future of the higher ed environment in the 21st century. Um, this is the only century I'll be alive in. Um, <laughs> and, and I understand that they're, you know, we're very lucky. We only get to see a very small slice of time. And, you know, the institutional system is really only a couple hundred years old. And mainstream institutionalism is really only... 50 to 100. Um, and so there's so much room for growth and creativity. And I think that changing some programs to be a lot more focused on helping students navigate, you know, the types of professional opportunities that they want to pursue is what I find the most inspiring. Beautiful. Uh, for those who are listening and are excited as much as I am, how can they find more about your work and if they would like to connect with you? So where can we find you? Sure. Um, so our website is capstonesource.com. Um, we have a, a plethora of resources, uh, including a blog that talks about everything from, you know, what are the key, um, are the key challenges to overcome with uh, shifting the institution and integrating experiential learning into the classroom. What are the types of, um, of outcomes that these, these learning experiences can develop? We have a whole repository of companies that you could look at um, and, and think about using as part of the learning experience um, for your students. Um, we also, you know, explain the system and how you can white label it to create your own formats and your own, you know, functional areas to deliver experiential learning. So highly recommend you check that out. Um, I'm a, I'm a big user of LinkedIn. I absolutely love it. That's how we found each other. Um, and, and um, I, so I certainly recommend connecting there. Otherwise, I'm a New York City native and I would love, you know, to see folks uh, around town if they're ever here. So certainly send me a note and We'd love to get together. Thank you. Great. Thanks again, Jordan. It was, uh, well, it's been wonderful to get to connect with you and now uh, have a good understanding of your journey and the work you are doing. Thank you so much for sharing your experience and all the work you do to help uh, high ed do what it needs to be doing and solving problems. Thank you so much. Thank you, Maria. I, I appreciate your 
difficult questions. And I think that's what really gets us to, to think and learn at the end of the day. Um, those are the types of professors I gravitated towards, not the ones who made it easy and used canned, easy questions uh, and content, but ones who really got me to think and answer and, and formalize, you know, what it is that I'm trying to do. So I, I greatly appreciate, you know, the opportunity to share what we've been working on. We're certainly proud of our progress and our team, and we look forward to uh, reaching more students and institutions around the world in the future. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening. What stayed with me long after my discussion with Jordan Levy is how different his project-based collaboration is from the traditional internships we are accustomed to. At CapSource, their process starts from higher ed, where educators describe the course teaching goals and the company requirements through a collaboration request. Then, CapSource helps convert company interest into a preliminary meaningful project scope by aligning course concepts and teaching goals with company objectives. During the last step, they finalize the project charter, including timeline, key milestones and deliverables to ensure companies, faculty and students are all on the same page. If you enjoy listening to Impact Learning, please leave us a review on iTunes to help people like you find this podcast. You can also subscribe and never miss an episode. And if you have friends and loved ones who would be interested in this episode, please share it with them. Thank you. And remember, we can talk about learning, we can design it, or we can do both. This is Impact Learning. I'm your host, Maria Zenidou. Till next time.